The uh, scripture reading will be Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, James. You guys sound great today. Really good to hear you all singing and uh, praising God. And this is a good week. Most of you have Thursday and Friday off. At least Thursday off. So that's going to make it a really good week. And we think about things we're thankful for. And yesterday was a joy just to be able to be here and to watch as we gave away, I think it was 100 turkeys, and uh, help people out. That was always a great thing. If you've seen the emails this week, our granddaughter, Quinn, has been having quite a difficult time, but she is back home from the hospital now. Fever's gone, so thank you for all your prayers. Um, That's one of the things we're most thankful for. We've been talking a lot about uh, peace and about what that means, and I think that's one of the main things that people want. And we've been looking at Psalm 23, and so I want to finish Psalm 23 today and just be able to look at some of the things that he talks about because in understanding how to get peace, it's the easiest way is if everybody will just leave me alone and do everything I want, then I'll have peace. But none of the first two are going to happen, so... Chances are the third one doesn't work. But I think the way David puts this, he's come to some conclusions, and uh, it is some amazing things that he has. So he starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't want. And for somebody to say, I don't want, when Black Friday's coming, is kind of incredible. There's nothing I could buy. I, I don't want anything. Well, there's, sure, there's things you could buy, but... There's no great want in your life that, oh, I, I, I've got to have this. And so he says the reason for that is because God leads me. Green, cha- green pastures, quiet waters, he restores what's inside of me, my soul. He is the one that gives me peace and causes me not to worry because I know God is there. He's a shepherd. He cares for me. He guides me. He watches. And so he's over all these things. And David finds a great trust in God. And so I think he finds peace in all of this. But then the second part of this talks about the valley of the shadow of death and that there are going to be times that are difficult. But he says, I don't fear any evil because you're with me. And again, it comes back to God being with us, God having the tools there, the rod and the staff to be able to comfort us. Not that bad things aren't going to happen. So that takes away one of those things because bad things are going to happen. And we go through those, and God says, I will go through those with you. Does that make sense? I will go through those. Don't get stuck in those. 
It isn't that they're never going to happen, but we go through it, and every day will not be as bad as some of those days. And so God is with us, and we come out the other side. We don't stay in that. We don't live in that. But sometimes we do find ourselves. But we are able to get through those dark times because of Jesus. And then the one we want to look at especially today, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. This is one of those incredible passages that I think I didn't look at for a long time. And then when it finally dawned on me what he was really saying, it is just kind of amazing. Not all times are as severe as the valley, but there are times when there's some danger and there's at least enemies. Well, how can that be? I always want peace, but it may need to be peace in the middle of a turmoil. So what's your favorite restaurant where you like to go eat? Is it the one where the the place is jumping, the music's loud, and everybody's excited to be there? Or maybe it's the place where they've got the cage for the kids, and you can, well, maybe it's not called a cage, a play area for the kids where you can send them off, and maybe that's where you get a little bit more peace. Or is it the restaurant that's really quiet, and, you know, there's some music, but there's, you know, you can at least talk to somebody, and sometimes you can't even talk to somebody in, in some of them. You're yelling across the table. Enemies don't make it easy to eat, do they? Is that who you invite over? Yeah, I don't like you at all, so why don't you come to dinner? That's not much of an invitation. Uh, we, we generally like to be around people that we like and people that like us, and so we don't always invite people over. It doesn't make it easy for us to relax when, when there are enemies around, And yet, that's exactly what David says. You sent out the invitation, and you prepared that. I'm not sure enemies are invited to this, but I'm going to eat in front of them. Now, my mama always told me that was bad manners, but if God says it's okay, then it must be okay, right? And so, God says, I'm preparing your banquet, the table for you, in the presence of my enemies. And that's what David talks about here. He had some enemies. Philistines for one, Saul for another, his brothers at times for another, even sometimes his own children. He was constantly at war, constantly fighting. He was very, very good at it. But if you're looking for a life of peace, the guy who writes about peace was a guy who understood that there are enemies. And that enemies can be around and enemies can be everywhere. And so it becomes very difficult for us to have a sense of peace. But David says, yeah, that's possible. I want you to learn that today. Because that's what he talks about. He goes on to say, God blesses. And so he anoints my head with oil. It's a matter of honor. It's a matter of respect. It's a matter of saying this is somebody who's good. And then he says, my cup overflows, so the cup of blessing, I don't think this is the cup of suffering, but the cup of blessing overflows, and and there's so many good things in my life, so many good things that are going on. And that's what he talks about. 
along with enemies. But so many good things that are going on. And then goodness and mercy follow me. I always thought this was surely goodness and mercy. Didn't you? I mean, that's the way it reads. That's the way I memorized it. Surely goodness and mercy. Three things. Surely goodness, mercy will follow me all the days. And I never knew what Shirley was or if that was a person. Uh, but then I finally read it and realized, no, it's just goodness and mercy, but maybe Shirley's the one coming over for dinner. So anyway, goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life, and all of these things are going to cause me to dwell in the house of the Lord in a place where God provides, in a place where everything is great, in a place where everything is wonderful, in a time really of thanksgiving. And there's always something to be thankful for, even in the middle of enemies. Not because everything's perfect, but because we're blessed. And what he's saying is you are blessed by someone. We always think, no, I want to be blessed in a circumstance. Our circumstance does not bless us. It is a person who blesses us, and that person is God. And so if you think about it that way, it's not the peace that comes from being in a great circumstance, but the sense of blessing we have is not because, oh, everything's wonderful. It's a sense of someone is doing something good for you. And so it's a person who's doing the blessing, and we are being blessed because of that. Um, when Jesus talks about blessing, he has the Beatitudes, and he talks about being blessed. And so he says, blessed are the humble and those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the, the meek, the gentle, the merciful, the pure, the peacemakers. That doesn't look like a good list for blessing, doesn't it? I mean, it ought to be blessed are the rich. Blessed are the ones who have no cares. Blessed are... No, it's not saying that at all. It's saying those who mourn are blessed. Yeah, because they feel something. They have emotion about this life. They mourn over their own sin. They have something they want. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are not bored. I think boredom is one of the biggest curses we face in our life because we don't know what else to do. Might as well play a stupid game where we die right? That solves your boredom. No, you know, you're just doing something when you're bored. Uh, it doesn't give you peace inside. And so when you start looking at all these things together, none of these are what we thought peace was in the beginning. And the last one, peacemakers. Blessed are peacemakers kind of indicates there's a reason for making peace. And so when you look at the verse, blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for, the, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. You see, if you're the peacemaker, there's trouble. If you follow the rest of his line, blessed are the people who have enemies. 
Wow. Do you have to have enemies to be blessed? I guess we'd be happy without any enemies, but I'm not sure that's really even possible. And so he says, blessed are the people who have enemies, even enemies who would persecute you, even enemies who would say bad things against you, even enemies who accuse you falsely and who lie about you. He says, I want you to rejoice and be glad because you're in good company. Wow, in good company? Yeah, lots of righteous people before you had the same enemies. And when you understand that and see that, okay, I I gather that I'm counted with the righteous people. That's a blessing. There's all the good things that happen along with enemies. And so as you look at how he describes this, it's a way of being able to get through all these things. He describes the problems. But God isn't going to take away all the problems. He is going to bless you in the middle of all the problems. So it's not that you're going without a blessing. It's just you were waiting till the problems all went away. That's not happening, even for Jesus. And I think he's the example that we have that we can look at. When you start looking at the life of Jesus, you realize that You know, the great Christmas stories and things like that. Jesus is born with no place to sleep, so now he's in the barn. And his early life is great because they finally, well, no, they have to run away, don't they? There's the threat of Herod. There's wise men. Those are blessings. Angels are blessings. Shepherds are blessings. They bring great gifts as we're running away from our enemies, right? Isn't that the story? So there's a lot of intrigue, a lot of danger, a lot of things happening. He goes to Nazareth, and he grows up in Nazareth, and before he can even begin his ministry, the Spirit drives him to the desert, and he has a one-on-one with Satan. I thought God took those things away. Hmm. He puts you there on purpose. And not only that, but we're fasting for 40 days now. Seems difficult, doesn't it? Wait a second. And then the end of Luke 4, end of that section, he returned in the power of the Spirit. Because there's a reason for the hardship, a reason for the difficulty, and that's because that makes us strong. He goes back to his hometown of Nazareth and begins to preach, and they, he goes to the synagogue, and they hand him the scroll, and he stands up to read, and he reads them the passage and says, now this passage has been fulfilled, and you know, it's the passage about the suffering servant. It's the passage that describes him. And it all goes great. Everybody's so excited to see him. In Luke 4, 22, the people spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? We don't see Joseph around, but isn't isn't this great? One of the hometown kids who's come back and he's doing such a good job and preachers just ought to know when to leave things alone. That's always the issue. We don't quit soon enough. 
And he says, well, you're probably going to wonder about all the miracles and about those things, and you're probably going to say, physician, heal yourself, and you're, I would just want you to remember Elijah and when he called for righteousness, the only person that could help him or take care of him was the widow of Zarephath because there was not a faithful person in Israel. And during the days of Naaman, God wouldn't heal any of you because there was not a faithful person as Israel. Naaman the Syrian was the only one who was healed. Jesus is looking for faith, and he calls them out. They get a little bit angry because they didn't want to be challenged. And when you get that, it turns them into enemies. And so the last of the whole thing in verse 29, And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing... Through their midst, he went on the way. Okay, that's not a good way to end a sermon. We are not going to end today that way. I know there are cliffs, but we don't need those today. But anyway, just saying, what happened? Well, he's going to challenge people about God and about what God wants. And he's going to speak for God. And he's going to say, now is the passage fulfilled. Now is the time to decide whose side you're on. Messiah has come. Now is the place. Now is the time. This is where you want to be. And all of these things are because people have faith. I'm not sure about yours. And he's pretty pointed at them. Do you have faith at all? Are you going to follow God because Messiah is standing right in front of you? Come, follow me. And they decide, we don't like this so much. I mean, it was good before, but you're being a little too personal about this now. I always felt that way when I was young and I preached. And this went all the way up till well into my 30s people would, after I get done preaching, when I went somewhere, they'd say, oh, someday you'll make a preacher. <laughs> I would go, what? Well, you just know they didn't take anything you said seriously. But I don't think they're saying that to Jesus, that someday you'll make a good preacher, son. They're going, we don't like this. We don't want this. In fact, we think we are going to get rid of you right now, and Jesus makes enemies. Why does he make enemies? Even in his hometown, the last place where he could have gone that was for him, that loved him, that cared about him. Because he wants them to follow God. And you either on one side or the other, you're going to be the enemy of Jesus or you're going to be the enemy of God. And so Jesus begins to teach what that's like and what you do with that. And so his words are, love your enemies. Because he sure has a bunch of them. He says, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. I'm saying, love your enemies. And then he tells parables about the guy who came and sowed weeds tears in among all the good wheat 
So even his stories have enemies. And he says, enemies might be in your own house because I'm calling you to follow me. And so there may be enemies that live in that place you thought was safe. And he calls people to follow him, and it makes more enemies. By the time we get to Matthew 23, he talks about, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because of your actions. And he gets criticized everywhere he goes, and you see more enemies. And he heals on the Sabbath, and there are more enemies. A withered hand, a lame man, a blind man, all Sabbath day. You can't pick up that pallet and carry it out of here. What are you talking about? It was Jesus that did it, and more enemies come, and Jesus walked right through the middle of them all. Instigated it, set it up, and wants to give you his peace. And Jesus was blessed by God, right? We don't see Jesus worried. We don't see him threatened. We don't see him stressed, even though one of his disciples would betray him, and he knew it. He shows people how to live among enemies. If we don't learn that, we don't get peace. This is how you do it. And he is blessed by God. He does God's work. He doesn't get distracted in convincing enemies that he's right. He just tells them about God being right. He makes enemies because he can't stand apathy. He had watched the Pharisees too long. They didn't come to God anymore. He comes to call them back. And so he says, follow me. When they reject him, he pushes It's his lion to chase. You have to be here on Wednesday to understand that one. And when we're selfish, we become enemies of God. And that's really what happens. And Jesus' enemies are the same enemies as God's enemies. You realize that? The people who are enemies of God are also the same ones Jesus has. And maybe that's the best way for us to tell which side we're on is, you know, whose enemies do you have? Uh, I mean, maybe it's our enemies or God's enemies. Because sometimes it can be really telling. Because if all the enemies of God are the same as our enemies, then, okay, there's a pretty good chance you're on God's side. But if your enemies become people in church, if your enemies become people who are trying to be righteous, maybe you're on the other side. We can't have that. Pharisees had gotten there, and they didn't really understand. And so Jesus chooses to love enemies and to pray for them. And he teaches to be like God so that we can be sons of God because God loved enemies. And the reason we want this most of all is because we were enemies once. That's the whole point of it. Treat enemies like you want to be treated. Well, that sounds like love. Yeah. Doesn't have to be an emotional thing, but just treat enemies like you would want to be treated if you were an enemy because 
that's really what love is, is being able to do that. And so Romans 6 or Romans 5 talks about this. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us while we were still enemies. And God shows his love by sending Christ while we were still enemies. And so if we don't learn to love enemies, we're denying where we came from. It's the fact that God did love us while we were enemies. Enemies are the mission. Not sure if we ever grasped that before. No, they're those bad people. They're the people that make my life frustrating. Yeah, they are. (laughs) And those are the ones that don't know how to have the love of God in their heart. Jesus has already died, and we simply follow the pattern of his death. And that's where the change occurs, where we're able to repent of sins and put on Christ in baptism, make a covenant, and kill an enemy. The enemy was us, and we've switched over so that now we have come to the side of God and we're raised to walk in a new life. So don't despair that you have enemies. They may even be a good thing because it might say which side you're on. Make sure one of them is not Jesus, however, that you know, you're not on the wrong side of that one. And let God prepare the banquet. Doesn't that sound good? I'll do it in the presence of your enemies. Don't let them worry you. Don't bother about them. We have more important things to do. Like worship God. So they can see what a blessing looks like. Why would they ever come to God if they don't understand God's blessing? And God says, I'm going to show them the blessing of God on you. Well, which is great, but it's not really for us. It's done in the presence of enemies so people could see this is how God blesses. And we recognize he's using us to be able to say, yeah, that's a way. And so we live in the middle of enemies. Hopefully not bad ones, hopefully not violent ones, but ones that maybe don't appreciate God. And we call them to life. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. I hope that's happened for you today. I hope you have been reconciled to God. And whether you have a lot of enemies, I hope not. You don't need a whole bunch. But just understand that anybody who does things right is probably going to have some. Make sure that's the reason. Because God is able to take all the other things and forgive all the other things, all the things that made enemies by mistakes. 
God can forgive those mistakes. God can give grace for those things, and we get through those so that now we are able to be children of God. Today, I want you to have this. Thanksgiving is going to be a great time. Rejoice as the Lord prepares the table. Doesn't matter who's around. If you need help with this, if we can help you and you feel like you're still the enemy, then let's fix that so that you're on God's side and God is able to prepare the table for your life.